The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where there worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter halt into life than to have two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where there worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, Wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what happened to all the demons? Where'd they all go? We see them throughout the ancient world. We see them in the pages of Scripture. We see them in rabbinic teachings. We see them in pagan rituals. So, what happened to them all? Did they all go underground? Have they all been vanquished? Our gospel lesson serves as a reminder that the ubiquity of demons was assumed by the ancient world. And all of our texts speak to the never-ending fight against evil that life this side of heaven requires. But first, what are we to make of all of the demonic activity in the New Testament? I used to think that the presence of Jesus elicited some kind of extreme response from the demonic realm, that the Son of God becoming incarnate in human flesh was just too much of an enticement for the demons not to come out of the woodwork. Surely the evil forces of the world saw a once-in-existence opportunity to nip the forces of good in the bud. If they could get God's own Son to fall into sin or to be overcome with doubt, or to even question the goodness of God, then they would have struck an incredible blow for the forces of evil 
in this eternal struggle. So they threw the kitchen sink at Jesus. His own friends doubted him. Death and hunger and disease surrounded him. His good friends, like Lazarus, died. And of course, there was the demand that Jesus himself would have to be scourged and crucified for the sins of the entire world. Yeah, I used to think that all of that extra demonic activity was the result of Jesus becoming flesh, of God becoming flesh in Christ. But now I'm not so sure, because demonic activity was considered to be ubiquitous by all of the ancients. The Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and yes, even the Hebrew people assumed that demons and their activity was common. They believed, for example, that demons could and did live in all manner of uh, animals, specifically serpents, scorpions, and goats. And they were the cause of all kinds of disease. The exorcist and the doctor, they were the same person, you see. And to drive out demons, one needed to know exactly what words to say at the incantation. And if you knew the name of the demon, you could have great power over them. Or if you knew the name or said the name of a god who was more powerful than that demon, you could have great power over the demon. Yes, the name of the demon or the name of the god that could make demands on a demon, that was critical to knowing. Unless you think that uh, this was just something that pagan religions that surrounded the Hebrew people believed. No, in fact, Hebrew people believed many of the same things. And, of course, there's always this question uh, historically, like, well, did they believe it because they were surrounded by people that believed it, or they just sort of adopted those customs, or did they all believe it because it was obvious to all that that was reality? But you see, for example, the serpent in Genesis 3. This was one of the animals that demons were assumed to live in. The scapegoat in Levitical law. And many references from Jesus himself, including the naming of legion. Remember the demon and the man at the uh, Gesinarene? The, there's two different ways to say that word, but the, the tombs. Uh, the use of spit spittle and healing that was said to have exercising properties and jesus makes a reference for example to scorpions right what father if his child asks him for something to eat would give him a scorpion instead i think jesus is saying what father would would do something so evil as to give uh, their own child a demon and while we may wish to totally dismiss the demonic claims of false religions i would caution us against such an approach. Not everything is false in a false religion. It's kind of like the blind squirrel or the broken watch. They get some things right. And in fact, I think these false religions might be showing us true demonic activity. After all, in our gospel text today, the issue is that there are so many demons out there and the demand for exorcism is so high that even those who do not follow Jesus are able to cast out demons borrowing the authority of Jesus. 
And so right there in our gospel text, you know, not those crazy Old Testament texts, the normal New Testament text, the gospels, the one we read from all the time. Yeah, there's overlap with the pagan ancient world, the power of a name in getting the demons to submit, right? Because how are the pagan exorcism, exorcists casting out demons? What, what are they using? The name of Jesus. So, what happened to all the demons? Where did they all go? Well, what if I were to say that they didn't go anywhere? They just adapted. You know, like a bacterial superbug that adapts to an antibiotic-rich environment. The demons have cleverly learned to thrive in new and unexpected ways. Now, to be fair, we have many advancements in medicine I'm very happy for. Uh, we, we understand much more how ailments of bacterial infections can be cured or there are hormonal imbalances, etc. These are not demons. And I think we ought to segregate our doctors from our exorcists. At, at least they should have different offices in the suite, you know. And yet there are things that doctors cannot cure. And we do believe in miracles and the supernatural. And there should be things that in a Christian worldview, at least a mild connection to our physical health and the spiritual evil in the world should be seen to have a relationship. After all, what happened after Adam and Eve spiritually fell into sin? There was a physical consequence. That is when death and disease entered the world. Genesis 1 and 2, no death and disease. Fall into sin, thanks to the serpent, death and disease. Much human agency in our own day, human agency, i.e. sin, leads to physical illness. Our industrial food programs certainly contribute to poor health, as does an overabundance, uh, indulgence of alcohol or sugar or salt. There's at least a question, and maybe good evidence, that COVID itself is the product of human tinkering with natural viruses. Plastic. Did you know plastic is part of our food consumption? I mean, I, we're not sitting around eating milk jugs, but uh, the fact is, uh, plastic is a part of our diet. That cannot be a good thing. In other words, sins of omission or commission do lead to physical ailments. Okay, so we shouldn't separate the spiritual totally from the physical. Still, we don't believe anymore that demons are in every, you know, behind every door or uh, under every bush. While I think that something like demonic possession is possible, I think generally it's rare. The ordinary course of events that demons have influence over us is through temptation or encouraging us maybe to dabble in innocent cult, occult practices like the Enneagram uh, or astrology or mysticism, or even a reliance on reason to such an extent that we lose our commitment to supernaturalism. Yes, the most evil force in our own day is probably not the demon lurking in your garden snake, but rather the disdain towards God and the arrogant belief 
that humanity itself is good and wise and capable enough to create a good world without God. Whenever someone says that they only rely on science or reason, I know that I'm not looking at a person who is possessed by a demon, but they are someone who has bought a demonic lie that this world is even possible to understand apart from God's creation and providence and salvation and judgment. A person who believes that they can enjoy even one breath, much less an entire life without God at the center, has been influenced by demons without even realizing it. And that is why Jesus takes the pursuit of holiness so seriously, as does James, as does the psalmist, and the fight is exemplified by Esther. In our gospel lesson, Jesus uses rather extraordinary language to describe the horrors of sin in the life of a disciple. If we influence a child from following God and doing what is right, we will experience an incredibly harsh judgment. It would be better if someone took a two-ton millstone and threw us into the sea and we drowned. That's what Jesus says. That should definitely get us to thinking real hard about what is corrupting our children. Never before have we had to be so aware of what they consume. Just this week, I realized that a book that was given to one of my children as a birthday present was totally inappropriate for children. Shame on me for not, you know, screening the birthday presents, and uh, shame on the giver for not, uh, you know, doing the same. But we have to look at things like that. Uh, that book is now on the way to the landfill. <clears throat> and then there are the passages that Jesus says about cutting off limbs and plucking out eyes. Oh, what, you thought Jesus was just some nice guy? That because he died for your sin, he doesn't care about sin anymore? He doesn't think sin is a real threat to your life? Uh, no. Back to the original point. Demonic activity is affirmed and assumed by Jesus. And so if you have any respect and love and trust in or towards Jesus, you should not relegate that belief of his to some distant era. Because Jesus believed demons were active in the world, he assumed that this life would be one of spiritual warfare for the follower of Jesus. Therefore, we are to hate sin and to be disciplined Remember, we are disciples in our lives to keep it from us at all costs. Now, I know that's all been very serious and maybe a little scary. Well, I do have some good news. The death of Jesus did change things. There is a difference in the pre-resurrection world and the post-resurrection world. But it's not that the demons disappeared. It's the way in which they have no power over us, ultimately. And so here's what Christians need to know. Here's what you need to know. Ultimately, the demons have been defeated and have been vanquished. 
So while they can tempt us and nag us and annoy us, they can never have us. We are Christ's. And his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead was a dagger in the heart of the devil himself. And so for all who trust in Jesus, the voice of the accuser has no power, and the demons, therefore, can go mess with someone else. They will find no quarter in the heart of the Christian, for that heart has already been won and sealed by Jesus himself. Amen.